semester, uh, first assembly, been on an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, Pastor, well, that's kind of part of course. It's your Pentecostal fellowship. Absolutely. That is uh, a part of what we believe. And certainly it is many times um, the, the core or part of the core of what we believe and of who we are. Yet at the same time, the reason why I'm not on the, the reason why I'm on this series is not necessarily to just reaffirm these truths for my own heart and life, but it's because COVID has expanded the audience. It's expanded the, the people that we have the opportunity to influence, either be by Facebook Live or people that have seen or heard about us on Facebook Live have chosen to come out and visit. And so we have a number of folks that are new to our church family and that are interested in what we know as a spirit-filled experience or Pentecostal or charismatic uh, theology, but more than just a theology and experience. And I feel like it's my responsibility to teach this in such a way that it makes it uh, accessible, where we see that, hey, this is accessible to me. This is not, I've said it before, there's so, so many people have the a thought in their mind that anything related to Pentecostalism is extreme, hyper, um, it is uh, sometimes there's some oddities, and I, you've heard me say many times, I said, if, if someone was, you say, Pastor Ben, the Pentecostal folk I knew were weird. My clarification to you is that they were weird before their Pentecostal experience. Because their Pentecostal experience does not make you weird or odd in any capacity. What it does is it empowers you and your witness before God. And we're going to narrow in on it here today. The last three weeks, I, I preached the first one I preached, I went in and with clarification, the Pentecostal experience and the Pentecostal, the spirit-filled movement, the spirit-filled experience, it's more than just speaking other tongues. Matter of fact, the first level for us as believers is we believe it means being set apart for the purposes of God, sanctification. That God takes us through a process of being sanctified, either instantaneously or certainly progressive, till our lives are set apart for His glory because He's holy and He desires us to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Right? And then last week, I took you on a journey on the history of Pentecostalism. And I shared with the, with the, the other preachers uh, at our church family, I said, when I was ministering, it, I, was, I didn't feel like there was a great... Uh, you know, anointing or fluidness to it. But when I went back and listened to it, you know, I'm like the coach that goes back and watches the video of the game the night before because I'm trying to tweak it and learn from it. So I go back and watch it. And you know what? But I, I felt differently in the audience than I did on the platform. So I'm going to trust that you, you were able to follow that journey with me that the Pentecostal experience did not begin in Acts chapter number 2, right? That the Spirit of God, God had been moving by His Spirit since the Genesis, since the Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And He's going to continue to move in the lives of people who believe and are willing to receive. Isn't that right? If we are willing to receive, we want to be that people, don't we? I don't want to, number one, do ministry without the power of His Spirit upon me. Number two, I don't want to live life without the power of His Spirit upon me. I don't want to be a husband, a father. I don't want to be a pastor. You don't want to be a mother. You don't want to be a worker. You don't want to be anything without a distinct anointing of God upon your heart and life. So this is us learning. We're going to talk about spirit baptism today. So we're going to go to Acts chapter number 1. This is part of the context in which that phraseology is used in the Scripture. Actually, you will not find the exact phrase of the Holy Spirit baptism in Scripture. It's actually a compilation of 
various wordings of, of little sentences. Uh, it kind of began with John the Baptist who prophesied of the coming of Jesus. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and of fire. And so we read in Acts chapter number 1, this is 10 days after Jesus' resurrection. Or excuse me, this is 10 days, this is 40 days after his resurrection. It'll be 10 days before the Spirit of God comes in Acts chapter number 2. So this is somewhere now on that 40th day. Jesus was buried, resurrected, walked and showed himself. Verse number 3, we're going to begin at verse 4. But verse 3, Luke the writer here says that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible truths or proofs being seen to them 40 days. And so we're at the culmination of this. This is right before Jesus will ascend into the presence of God. He has his, uh, his, his followers assembled together. And that's what verse 4, that's where we pick it up. It says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. So Jesus has talked about the coming of the Comforter. He's talked multiple in multiple places. If you go back and you read, and especially in John's gospel, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said words like this. He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But he said, but if I go away, I will pray unto the Father, and he will send the comforter who is the Holy Spirit. And he will not just abide with you, but he will abide in you, and he'll be within you forever, Jesus promises us. He will guide us into all truth, Jesus said. He will show you things to come. He will reveal the Father. Jesus taught many times even telling his disciples that they were going to face persecution. And he said, you know what? In your persecution, many times you're going to be brought before magistrates and before governors and even kings. And he said, he said the night before, that when you know you're going to go before them, don't take any thought. Don't think about what you're going to say. Don't give a defense. Don't prepare what you're about to say. Actually, he said, he said the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God on that moment is going to give you the right words to say to declare the faith of God through Christ Jesus. Isn't that powerful? How many of you know when we were singing the song just a moment ago, I rest in your promises, that's a prayer that I pray on a regular basis. I pray it this way. I say, Father, I'm going to rest because you're working. Are y'all out there? He's going to work. We're going to rest. He's going to work by spirit. In our lives and in our midst. So here Jesus said, you've heard of me. You've, I've talked to you about this before. So he's kind of reminding them, hey, remember the conversation. Remember the things that I shared with you. Remember what was said about me also, even John. John baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and not many days hence. Let me clarify for you that are not familiar to the King James Version of the Bible. The word ghost there in Scripture is translated from the same Greek word, that spirit is. So if your Bible says Holy Spirit, in the 1611, when they compiled and translated the King James, ghost was common for spirit. And so it's a pneuma. We're going to talk about that word in a moment. So it's interchangeable. So don't, don't get weird on it. He's not talking about a holy Casper here, right? He's talking about the Spirit of God. 
right? That which proceeds from God, that which the Holy Ghost, here he says. You've heard he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from hence. And when they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you, I'll tell you what, you, I could really preach on that, verse number 7. We are still caught up after all these many years, still trying to figure out, are we in the last of the last days? We're still trying to figure out, is the, you know, are the, are the Russians going to come down? Is the Chinese going to come down and attack Israel? Is there going to be an Islamic horde? Who's going to be the Antichrist? Is there going to be, we're still trying to figure all that out. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons. You be concerned about getting the anointing of God on your life, and you be a witness for me. Now, I know that doesn't sell a lot of books on eschatology, right? But it's the truth. He said, you shall receive power after the Spirit of God has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The uttermost part of the earth is wherever you go in your everyday life, God's called you to be a witness for Him. How you handle yourself, how you act, react, talk, how you function, even in hostile environments, is going to determine your witness. And if you are anointed of the Spirit of God, filled with the power of God, right, then you can be a witness no matter what the climate is around you. You believe that? So today we're going to talk about this subject familiar to many of us, not so familiar to some of you, and it's, our, and it's our sincere desire as pastors and leaders of this assembly to see you have, uh, have hope and faith in your heart that, you know what, I too can receive of the power of the Spirit on my heart and life. Amen? Who will pray with me that God will make, as Joe's already prayed, preaching easy in this house. Father, we bow our heads one more time to join our faith and covenant in agreement. And Father, I'm preaching to those that have a similar, Father, doctrine and experience as I have. But I'm also, Father, preaching to those, this is a new season in their life. They're inquisitive. They're inquiring. They're a little bit fearful. But at the same time, there's something inside of them that's being drawn. They're seeing something in someone else. There's a, a fragrance of your uh, of your sweet presence, God, in the life of another individual, that when they're around that individual, they're saying, what is this? And we know what it is. It's the sweet fragrance of the Spirit of God revealing Christ in the life of that Spirit-filled believer. And, Father, that's compelling that li part of our listening audience today, either by Facebook Live or here seated in the sanctuary of First Assembly, to become, Father, receptive, Father, and desire the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart and life. God, let us learn about spirit baptism today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. For clarity today, we're not going to talk in great depth about speaking in other tongues, which is oftentimes in Pentecostal theology associated with spirit baptism. Now, I will get to that, and that will be next week. I've got it entitled, What We Know About and Why We Value Speaking in Other Tongues, but that's not where we're going, where we're going today. I want you to just kind of jot this down in your mind real quickly. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, there is a fantastic position paper put out by the Assemblies of God, the, the corporate denomination. If you'll go online to the Assemblies of God website, position paper, spirit baptism, 
There will be a many-page article written by brilliant minds that have studied out extensively, and it will help you in, uh, uh, in, in learning of this doctrine. See, I believe in learning. I, I'm the type of person, you got to do more than just tell me. Sometimes I need to know why. And then I need to know how. And sometimes then I need to know what it's going to look like on the back end of it just a little bit. And so as a teacher, as well as a pastor, that's my desire. I, because I believe when you have knowledge, you are empowered through that knowledge. You have a confidence. How many of you know that? Now listen, if I stood in front of you, if I still question, did you know what some people, they call our experience of the devil? Did y'all know that? There are parts within the body of Christ that say our experience is of the devil. Now, those are on the outside say it's foolishness and they call us crazy. But let me say this. If I had a fleeting thought in my mind that that might be true, what they are saying, then I could not have the confidence that I have in front of you today. But I want you to know I am confident today that the experience that I have in my life and the doctrine that I have hidden in my heart is the same experience that I read about in the Word of God. I'm confident enough in it to look you from the eldest among us to the youngest to the person that's been here the longest or the person that's a first-time visitor and say with the same strength that the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the promise is to you, your children, and your children's children, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's for you. The power of God's presence and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for your life. Let me bring clarification as noted by the Assemblies of God position paper. The phrase, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is used interchangeably with other expressions in the New Testament, such as baptism in spirit or baptized in spirit, spirit coming on or falling upon, the spirit being poured out, the gift of the Father, the gift of God receiving the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. So we may reference it in one of those expressions, but we're alluding to the same thing. Now, there are those in the body of Christ that believe, and they, here's what they teach. They teach that when you are born again, that you are baptized into the body of Christ. That's what we teach. But they teach that, that that is spirit baptism. We do not teach that. We teach that as a separate experience. In essence, that part of the body of Christ teaches that regeneration and infilling are the same experience. But we don't teach that. We teach a separate work of the Holy Spirit. Others teach the same thing as what we teach, but the question of controversy then becomes, how is it evidence that you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If I fill this water tank with water, and we have a baptism service, and yes, in the assemblies of God, we believe in immersion. So if I take you into that water tank, and I baptize you with water, and bring you up out of that water, and you came in on this side, and you walk out on that side, you say, Pastor, how will I know that I'm baptized in water? Because you're going to be soaking wet. from the And I will be too when I got in the tub with you. And so from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, there's going to be something that has saturated you. We're going to be able to evidence that and say that's the proof that you were baptized in water. So we're looking for proof. That's the term that we use in the theology of this experience. How is it evidence? What's the proof? And so I'll just share with you that that's where there's division even within the Pentecostal movement. For some, 
Some teach that spirit baptism is evidenced by deeper worship, where in that moment of time when the Spirit of God comes upon the individual, their worship becomes, what's the word, Jason? More lustily, in the words of John Wesley. So you have a deeper worship experience. We believe that too, but not necessarily exclusively. How about spontaneous praise? Some believe that when the Spirit of God comes upon an individual in spirit baptism, there will be spontaneous praise. Others teach that there will be one of the nine spiritual gifts. Many of you are inquisitive about spiritual gifts as recorded in 1 Corinthians 12. A week from next Sunday, two weeks from today, I'll go into a three-part teaching on spiritual gifts and bring clarification to you on what those gifts are and how they function in the life of a believer. But that's not for today. Others say there will be an immediate fruit of the Spirit. So that's a little bit of what many believe in the Pentecostal charismatic movement concerning the evidence. But mostly historical Pentecostal fellowships, such as the Church of God, such as the United Pentecostal Fellowship, and such as the Assemblies of God, teach that true spirit baptism will be evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That speaking in other tongues, I will teach you more about that next week, but it is not the gift of tongues, but we call it rather evidential tongues that's the equivalent to prayer language. Without this experience, many in the fellowships, the Pentecostal, historical Pentecostal fellowships, many in those fellowships, they will affirm that the Spirit came upon you. They will affirm that God is doing something in your life by a Spirit, but they are reluctant to affirm that experience as Spirit baptism. If we have controversy within the broader Pentecostal movement, it is on that issue. It's on the issue of what's the actual evidence of spirit baptism. I'm not trying to convince you of a particular way today. You see why? Well, here's the question that I wrote in my notes. Watch the truth. Watch the truth. Now listen very carefully. This is extremely important. We can't go any further in learning about this unless you catch what I'm about to say. Here is the truth concerning what evidences spirit baptism. Are you ready? You must be fully persuaded in your own mind. That sounds like a cop-out, Pastor Brown. Anything else is just going to be a doctrine on a piece of paper. That's all it's going to be. It's going to be, well, this church believes that, this church believes Because let me tell you, when you start to study it out, you can find what you're looking for. If you want to believe that it's one of the nine charismatic gifts and not just tongues, you will find enough information to convince you, to reconvince you of what you already convinced yourself of. If you believe that it is spontaneous joy, you can go online or you can search through the annals of Christian commentaries and you can find enough theology to affirm that position what i want you to know today is you've got to be firmly persuaded in your own mind and arrive at the place where you have a confidence before god because at the end of the day it's your experience it's not my experience it's your experience and i want you to have the same confidence that i have i'm confident in, i have confidence in my theology number one and my evidence number two and i ne- i don't want to base my theology on my, on my evidence or my experience. I want to base my experience and my evidence on my theology. Wow, I'm preaching way better than y'all responding out there. 
All right, but now we got to get this, church family. Jesus spent time talking with his disciples. This it didn't just ha- it happened suddenly on the day of Pentecost, but it had built up. He had spent many weeks with his disciples saying, let me tell you about this. You need to learn about the Spirit of God. You need to know how he comes. He had already done some things and, and put the power of the presence of God and gave them little moments where they function under a supernatural unction in the Spirit in the days uh, before he died on the cross. So that's, we're going to arrive at some conclusions later, but that's not where we're going to begin. It begins right here, the true essence of of being human and how we can relate to and have communion with and fellowship with God is where we're going to begin. Pastor, Pastor, I thought you were talking about this. It's going to be dynamic. We're going to be preaching and we're going to be running and jumping. No, listen, listen very quickly. It begins in understanding to a degree, whatever degree God allows us to, of his nature. We start right there saying, wait just a minute. Because God is, how many know God is triune? Right, he's triune. He, he has chosen to reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Come on, theology says that he is eternally existent as three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Spirit. But collectively, they are one, right? Like a thrice-braided cord that is not easily severed. Come on. There's a mystery uh, related to the Godhead. We strive to understand a little bit about the nature of God. How many know God's nature transcends the natural world? It was God that created matter. It was God that created. God is above, beyond. He's through. He's before and he's after. God is all and all and in all things. Come on, are you all with me out there? Jesus compared the Spirit of God to the wind. He said, Jesus said, the Spirit's like the wind. He said, you can't tell where it's come from and where it's going, but you can see its evidence. The day that the tornado blew through, and we have multiple people here today that had personal experiences with that tornado. And so Sherry and I was about three quarters of a mile south of the tornado, but we saw the perimeter winds. And let me tell you, it went from calm and sunny and clear, and in a matter of minutes and then seconds, it was here and it was gone, just like that. But we could easily trace where it had been. And that's what Jesus said about the Spirit. He said the Spirit is comparable to the wind. Even though we often describe the Spirit through the term of person, we only use that to distinguish Him in His personality from the Father and the Son. But Jesus said the Spirit is like the wind. And you can't tell where the wind's coming from and you can't tell where it's going. All you can do is look back and say, man, He has mightily changed where He's been. And I want you to know today, your life will be mightily changed by the power of the Spirit of God. God can change. Weaknesses in your life can suddenly be overcome by His power, and there will be a strength and a function and an ability that you never even thought possible because of His Spirit working in your heart and life. Man, then, very quickly, as, well, before we get to man, let me finish. The Spirit is invisible to the natural eye, but again, like the wind, we're able to follow His movements. In the wilderness, in the scriptures, God appeared in a cloud of fire and a presence in the tabernacle. How many of you remember that? But also, God through the tabernacle and then the temple, here's what it was said about God. Yahweh God, God was tabernacled among his people. Does anybody remember that? When you read the scriptures, he was tabernacled amongst his people. Man then, so don't forget that, man then is the offspring of God. How many of you know we were made in his likeness? What does that mean? We're triune in nature too. As he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are spirit, soul, and body. 
Right? Two Greek words, real quickly, translated spirit and soul for just a moment. I can't pronounce them correctly. One is pneuma. I probably got that one right. The other is psyche or suki, and it's simply translated soul. And, and so let me clarify for that for just a moment for you. We understand as humans more fully the body than anything else. You can go to the, I mean, we've got a way, and we've got MRIs, and we've got CAT scans, and we've got, we've got x-rays, and we can look at the physical body. We can examine, and we can learn, and we can learn. So man understands more fully the body. Now, in our generation, we understand with greater degree than any other generation the psyche or the soul of a man, that, that the soul of a man is his mind, his will, and his emotions. Today, we have brain scans, we can study psychology, we can study personality, we can study human emotions, we can learn a little bit about the soul of a man. What's more difficult to study and learn about is the spirit of man. That's the pneuma of man. The word pneuma there means breath, air, or life. And it's more difficult because the last I know, I don't think that modern medicine or modern science has any type of, of equipment whatsoever that can actually look into the spirit. But we have. Come on now, church family. But we have. We have revealed in the word of God and we have the ability by the spirit of God and we have clarification and understanding through his word. And so real quickly, God had breathed his breath into man's life in the garden and into man's nostrils, and that man became a living soul. Don't forget that. God breathed the breath of God, the life of God, the spirit of God entered into man, and man became a living soul. He had a soul, mind, will, and emotions, but now the breath of God, the spirit of God, the life of God joins with him. He's now a complete person. He's now, as God would look upon Adam, he said, it is good. He was made in his likeness and in his image. As the Father was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, man is now spirit, soul, and body. But we learn, though, let me just real quickly, there, here's the belief in, in, the, in Christianity is, that's related to the fall of man in the Genesis. It resulted in the Spirit of God to whatever degree that it joined to Adam's spirit in that original God-breathed moment that life was removed in the fall at some way. I don't know. We have picture images of it in the book of Ezekiel where the glory of God lifts off of the temple. Somehow or another, it seems to us, God had told Adam, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Adam lived 906 years, I believe it is, after he was driven eastward out of the Garden of Eden. He didn't die physically that day. He died spiritually that day. So there was something, that breath, that pneuma, that life, that spirit, the ability that he had to commune with God. For whatever reason, we have a picture of Adam in the garden only walking with God the way you would walk with a spouse or a friend through a park or through the garden. And that's the only image that we have of a man communing with God. But that's not the only way and means in which God communed with Adam. He communed in his innermost being. He communed in his spirit. He communed through fellowship. And in that moment when the Spirit of God departed out of Adam, listen to this very carefully, it was from that moment man could still know God in his mind, will, and emotion, his soul. He could see and hear and ponder and contemplate about God, but he couldn't have that sweet place of fellowship. Because the only communion that we can truly have with an invisible God who is by His Spirit is through His Spirit. That's the only way that you and I can truly have fellowship with God. Are y'all out there? And that's why when Jesus came, 
Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day. And listen to what he said. Catch this. It's very careful. It's very important. He said, you must be born again. And they said, what? They didn't even understand. Remember, they were thinking in the soulish realm with a natural mindset. Even the leader Nicodemus said, I don't understand. How can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, notice this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He says, born of the flesh, physical. He said, but you've got to be born by the Spirit. You've got to, in order to see, remember what he said, without the Spirit of God, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said, you must be born from above, born again, born by the Spirit. And so you say, Pastor, how does that take place? Well, let me just tell you real quickly. That's when you and I, let me tell you, it's our belief that when a believer puts his faith in Yeshua Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary, that in that moment of time, God sends his spirit into your heart, declaring you to be a child of God. Now, let me show you something real quickly. I probably got a little bit ahead of myself. In ancient Israel, we had the record of the spirit of God coming upon people, and they would prophesy or do miracles and, and we, you know that. You've read the stories of Elijah and Elisha and Moses with his rod and he's parting the waters and all that. But you know what? God was tabernacled in the temple, but he wasn't tabernacled necessarily in them. We have no record in the old covenant of God breathed into man beyond the initial breath in the garden. Let me tell you about the Torah for just a moment. The Torah is with the law of Moses. Are y'all out there? I hope you're learning. You're willing to learn. From the youngest to the eldest. I want you to have a confidence, and the only way you'd have confidence is to be confident that the experience that we're putting you to has a solid foundation theologically. I just can't get up here and just preach, you've got to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit because I want you to be like me. I can't do that. I want you to have a solid foundation of the Word of God because if I don't give you this foundation of the Word of God, let me tell you what will happen. I know what will happen because your adversary, the devil, cometh immediately to steal, to plant lies and thoughts in your heart and mind. And it, though you might experience something, it won't be but a day, a moment, an hour, whatever. And here he comes planting thoughts of doubt and unbelief in the validity of your experience. But when I've given you the truth of the Word of God, how many of you know at that moment of time you're able to take the sword of the Spirit and you're able to say, nope, excuse me, devil, this is what the Word of God says. Right? That's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. I know that it's not as exciting as if somebody comes up here and grabs the microphone. And I want you to know, I came in that era right there. I can do it. I could come up here and I could be preaching about the Holy Ghost. And I could be shouting and stomping and jumping around. But there's something inside of me that says it's more than just emotionalism. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer that empowers you to be who God's called you to be. Why would you want to try to live in this life without the fullness of what he offers for us? Right? In every spectrum of your life, this Spirit of God being upon you to be his witness and who he's called you to be, what he's called you to do. And so the, God had given Israel, I wrote this about the law in the wilderness. Not because, and that's very important. Not because he was concerned whether they would wear two distinct types of clothing material at one time. Did you know that was a law in the Torah where you're forbidden? Some of you have broken Torah today, right? Polyester and cotton, all on the same person. 
Very few with satin, and nobody with silk among us, maybe. However, let me tell you, God wasn't concerned, but that was the way that he chose to separate a people to himself. A people separated through whom the promised seed would come. But the promised seed wasn't to many, but it was to one. And this is where we're going to narrow this, and this is where I'm going to bring clarification, and this is what's going to lead us into spirit baptism. Are y'all out there? I don't know how long I'm preaching. Do I have time? I, I may be a two-part message all done in one. Oh, wow. Nothing a good time to take up an offering, I guess. <laughs> Listen, here's what Galatians 3 and 19 says. What serves the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. What promise? Listen, verse 14 of Galatians 3 says this, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. What is that blessing of Abraham? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That you can receive the promise of the Spirit. Not this, I'm not going to the baptism. That's another experience. We're getting there. I said that's where we end. That's not, that's not where we start. Now go back to Adam with me for just a moment. Adam, when he was created, what did we say he was made? He was made a living soul. Right? A living soul. When Jesus was resurrected, you know the Bible calls him contrasting him with Adam. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a life-giving spirit. So he would give life by the spirit. Catch that. It's very, very important. So listen. So before spirit baptism, on the day of, which was on the day of Pentecost and beyond, before that, John chapter number 20 tells us a very important incident that took place. I got to have you see this with me real quickly. Now, let's put this together. It is so important because it will help you when I take you to the next level in a moment with spirit baptism. So, Jesus is resurrected. This is his post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. Remember, he's appeared to the women at the garden too. He told them to tell, he told the women, go tell my disciples to go to Galilee and I will appear before them. So, they moved from Jerusalem to Galilee and there... Luke records it, he just suddenly appears. He didn't knock on the door because he didn't need anybody to open the door. Come on now, I said he was a life-giving spirit. He just suddenly appeared, and by the brightness of his appearance, it drove shadows from the room. And I'm praying that prayer right now. God, would you just drop down among us today? Let the glory of God be in our midst. It frightened the people, the, the disciples. Remember that Luke's recording that. And Luke said that they were like, it's a spirit. And Jesus said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Touch me and see. Give me something to eat. And he ate in their presence to validate that he was resurrected in bodily form. But he was resurrected in bodily form different from the way that the body that had died on the tree. Because on the tree he had given something that is life to all mankind. What did he give? He gave his blood. Leviticus 17 says, in this life, life of the flesh is in the blood. But Jesus spilled his blood, and when he's resurrected, he has no blood. He has the Spirit. He's the life-giving Spirit. The Spirit of God emanates out of him. And so he's got physical flesh that you can touch, but he gave his Spirit or his blood as a ransom for us. 
Are y'all putting this together? And so now, he starts telling his disciples, once they believe that I'm truly who I said I was, he did something. We have it on the screen. You have it here. He said, you go back and read this. Don't take me, don't take me at my word. You read this. Post-resurrection. And when he said this, he breathed, catch that word, breathed, on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's powerful, isn't it? You say, now, Pastor, I thought the Spirit of God was given on the day of Pentecost. Fifty days later, that's right, spirit baptism. Before I can lead you to spirit baptism, I have to bring you into the awareness that it's a separate experience from regeneration by the Spirit. Because if you don't ever get that down in your heart and mind, that's a separate experience, then you will say your born-again experience is spirit baptism. But I want you to see that it is a distinct experience. It is all by the Spirit, but it is a different experience of the Spirit of God. It's a different work of the Spirit. So here Jesus has his 12, perhaps more, gathered in that room, wherever they're at in Galilee, and he breathes on them. And in studying, I was reminded of this. That in ancient Israel, they had, and you can still have, we still have it today, it's called the Septuagint. Is anybody familiar with the Septuagint is? The Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It means the, it means the translation of the 70. And so of the 70 was that about 200 years before Christ, it's believed that the king of Egypt had uh, 70 scholars or 72 scholars, some say, brought to Egypt, Hebrew scholars, that would translate the Hebrew into Greek. Now, Jesus himself quoted some from the Septuagint because it was used in the synagogue at times, not exclusively. Paul the Apostle quotes from the Septuagint when he quotes the Old Testament more than he does from the Hebrew text. Did y'all know that? Why is that important? Because the Septuagint in translating, very quickly, Genesis chapter number 2, God breathes on man the breath of life and the, he becomes a living soul. John, when he writes in Greek, uses the same word, breathed, as what they used in the translation of Genesis. Now, why is he doing that, Shane? It's not by accident. It's by the Spirit of God. He's doing that because he wants them to see that what happened to Adam in the garden, when the Spirit of God was breathed into his nostrils, he became a living soul. The Spirit of God entered into him, and he had the life of God on the inside of him. That on that moment, the Spirit of God entered into Jesus' disciples. And here's what happened. In that moment, they weren't baptized in the Spirit. They were born again. They were born again, born from a boy, born by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was eight years old. I put my faith in Christ when that preacher walked me through the Roman road. And I got to Romans 10 and 13. If I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. And when I, in an elementary mindset, prayed and asked the Lord to come into my heart, I want you to know God breathed on me in my spirit, like, and I was born again by the Spirit of God. And everyone under the sound of my voice, whether you were at an altar, whether you were at home, whether you were watching a televangelist, whether you were going through a crisis in your life and you said, I need God, and you repented of your sins, you confessed Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you what happened. God breathed on you 
and the Spirit of God joined with your spirit, Romans 8 says, and declares you to be a child of God. Man, I get happy. That's what the Spirit of God does in my life. I've got, listen, God in the Old Testament, He was tabernacled amongst them only in the tent or in the temple, but never inside of them. But Paul writes, and he said in this new covenant, he said, this thing is so wonderful. Angels, Peter said, desire to look into it. You know why? Because Paul said in this new covenant, we don't need a temple. Because we are the temple of the living God. And that God's chosen to dwell in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so, again, the pneuma of man that lost the life of God in the Genesis, in the regeneration, in being born again, you are now made from above, born from above, and the life of God is on the inside of you, and you're born again. Now, you say, Pastor, you said this sermon, it was about baptism in the Spirit. If you don't get and arrive at the place where you're fully persuaded in your own mind that there is a distinction in being born again and baptized in the Spirit, you will never have the faith to receive for that second work of grace. Right? That's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm going a wrap around. This is like a, a hurricane type. I know your pastor is saying that's where your messages are many times. They're like a hurricane. Kind of destructive at times. Kind of erratic at other times. But the reason I did it is because I want you to be convinced that being born again, you receive the Spirit, but there's another experience. There's many experiences, but there's another catapult. So Jesus, now let's see if we can start tying this together. Can we for just a moment? And then I'll get ready to close. So now let's go back to Acts chapter number 1. We are 50 days from this experience, Jojo, 50 days. And now he's looking at the same people that he had previously breathed on and said, receive the Spirit of God. And he's saying, I'm about to ascend into the presence of God, but tarry at Jerusalem. Stay right here. Don't leave until you get what you need because you can't be witnesses for me fully and completely in the way and the means that I want you to be until the Spirit of God comes upon your life and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, I feel Jesus right there. Right? So now, let me just say this. I want you to know today that sometimes time and space does separate. From those, there are times that some people get saved and born again, or born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit either simultaneously or almost simultaneously. But that's the rarity, not necessarily the norm. The majority of us, it's a time and space separation from the time that we were born again to the time that we said, wait a minute, I want more of God in my heart and life. Did you know that's why people are watching this pastor today? There are people watching today because they're saying, God, I want more. You're, some of you have come to our church. I mean, I, yes, we have handsome pastors and wives, and I know we're cool to look at and all that. We're just cool people. Yes, I understand all that. But beyond all that, and very humorous, but sometimes my humor is just like way beyond the people's ability to catch up. I know what happens, Gail. People drive home, and then they start laughing because that's when they realize, oh, oh, that was funny. I just didn't. It was just right there. It was so. All right, so with that, hmm, right, hmm okay. I'm at a straight to Twix 2. <laughs> so 
So I've got a lot more to say. Is that my phone? Why, why is my phone on mute and it's still uh, playing a commercial when I take the time? I'm, I'm sure because I have a lot left. Spirit baptism. Spirit, but how many know it's, it's critical, church family? It's critical for your life. It's critical. I want you to have this experience, but I want you to have the theology first. I want you to have this experience, and because from this both, when there's two things that come together in spirit baptism, theology and experience, and when those two things come together, I'm telling you, it produces confidence, not in yourself, in God. Did y'all hear me today? It, it ha you have confidence in your communion and your fellowship because now you have access points. You have, you have a work of his spirit in your heart and life. You have a means and a mode and a communion and a fellowship. And there's a need in the heart and life of the individual for the mighty power of the Holy Spirit to be baptized in the spirit. And so I'm going to summarize for the sake of time today. For the, I'm going to summarize. And what I'll probably have to do is go back and, uh, and connect some of these today real quickly. I'll connect those next week. It's, I've been preaching a long time. It would be wrong. I don't want to finish those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize. So then, what, what happened then? So let me lead you into this. This is going to be, I'm going to give you, I'm gonna be, if I said I was going to be a teacher, let me stay with it. So from that experience, from that word, from that word right there in Acts chapter number 1, we have five recorded instances of the Spirit of God filling people in the book of Acts. That's what I'm going to close, though I have a lot more left. I'm going to close with those just real quickly. Because what I want you, I want you to have an experience that's validated because your experience is theologically accurate and also your experience is consistent with what we read about in the New Testament book of Acts. Let me close with this. Now, some of you are here today. I, you know, this is the the con, This is the the the. the the, the conflicting place that pastors find themselves in. So many people come to church today for all kinds of different reasons. And here, you say, Pastor, I just came because I felt like I needed God's help in my life. Well, that's why I'm here. Because that's what the comforter is. He's called the helper. He's going to reveal Jesus to you in a way that you could never before know him without. You'll also see through Christ, you'll see the Father. You know, when I really begin to see maturity in the life of a believer is when I see God go from being called God in your personal communion to being called Father. Then I know the Spirit of God's working in your heart and life because that's what the Spirit of God does. You know, he does. He reveals the Father through the person of Christ. Five, are y'all listen real quick? Hold your hand up real quickly and say, Pastor, that's not five minutes. That's five recorded instances in the book of Acts. Five recorded instances that you're going to go back and study on your own this week and then let me finish this next week and go into it, okay? Acts chapter number two, the most famous of all, right? The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all one accord with one place when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house wherein they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and did sit upon each one of them. Verse number four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. You know what it was? It was they were just worshiping God. It wasn't, they just, they just gathered. They said, he said not leave, we're not going to leave. It, many believe it was in the, the, Dr. Brassfield shared this with us many years ago, that it was in the outer courts of the temple where that happened. Maybe not in the little small room that we think of like the upper room. So we see that in the word of God. Acts chapter number 8, go back and read it. I'm showing you the differences. You're going to read them on your own later. Philip, an evangelist now, about eight years from that moment, 
has now gone to the city of Samaria, where you have the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. So there was, there was racial tension between the, the Samaritans and the Jews. Philip goes, he preaches Christ, and there are miracles. You know why there are miracles? Because in Acts 6, it says Philip was filled with the Holy Ghost. And God put great miracles, the gift of healing in his life. There are great miracles. People believed, were water baptized, and they were, there was great joy in that city. How many of you know you'd like to see that in our generation, wouldn't you? I would. But the Bible plainly says, Acts 8, but the Spirit of God had not fallen upon any of them, Melissa. None. So you know what they did? They called up Peter and John. Philip did. Said, come down here and help us. Peter and John came down for the singular purpose of praying for the people to receive the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember this, they're already saved, they're water baptized, they believe in Christ, but they don't have that second experience. So now, Peter and John pray for them, lay hands on them. 17th verse, chapter number 8, says they laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter number 8, verse number 17. You go back and read that on your own. Doesn't say the manifestation, it just says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter number 9, are y'all with me out there in Radio Now? I'm closing, you say, Pastor, you said that before. We don't know whether to believe you or not. Acts chapter number 9, now there's a, a new convert. How many know sometimes it happens in mass settings, and sometimes it's just you all alone with God? That's why I'm wanting you, I'm closing with this, because I'm going to be honest, I'm really conflicted, and I'm, rest, I'm restrained from having an old-fashioned Pentecostal gathering at the altar today. I just In the weird season that we're in, I have to say I can't do that with the clearest of conscience. But I can share with you that we're not going to put God in a box. God got out of his box. Israel had put him in a box for 2,000 years. He said, I don't want to be in a box. God said, I want to do it my way. And he came, and he'll usher in. So Acts chapter 9, there's a new convert. Who's that new convert? It's a man named Saul. A radical Jew who's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, or to at least imprison Christians, when Christ appeared to him in all of his glory. And he's fallen to the ground. He's blinded by the light. And Christ said, go into the city, and it shall be told what you shall do. And so he goes into the city where he fasts for three days, unable to see the morning sun or the evening sunset. But the Bible says simultaneously God spoke prophetically to a man named Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go into Damascus and to the street. The street's named Sent, and there's a house, and there's a man named Saul. I want you to lay hands on him. He needs to be healed because he can't see, and he needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when Ananias heard that, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because I heard about him. No, he didn't say that, but he was like, Lord, are you sure? He said, I heard a lot about him. That's a crazy Jewish zealot. He came to Damascus to kill us. But how many of you know if God's chosen you? God's got his hand on you. And so God said to Ananias, I know, I know who he used to be, but you can't see what I can see. I've called him to be a witness, and I can't have him be a witness until he gets full of the Holy Ghost. And so he sent him, and Ananias goes in, and the Spirit of the Lord had already whispered in Saul's ear through a dream and said, hey, 
that man's going to come in. He's going to lay hands on you. Let him do it. And Ananias comes in and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus that appeared to thee on the road has appeared unto me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he lays his hands on him, and it's like scales fell off of his eyes that he could see. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's no record. There's no record of Shatakai and Mosiah. There's no record of prophesying or magnifying God. But what we know is that through Paul's testimony, he had charismatic gifts working in his life, don't we? Acts chapter number 10, Peter this time, are y'all out there? Let me finish. And this, I'm, I've cut my sermon in half for y'all. So, Pastor, wow, you, JoJo said I was prepared. I was. I had 16 hours on the road to think about this. And so, Acts chapter number 10, now it's Peter. Peter hears from the voice of the Lord. The Lord tells him to go into the city. Uh, he's been, he was at Joppa, and he said, go in there. He said, at, at Caesarea, I believe it is. Or that he said, I want you to go from Joppa to Caesarea and go to a house. And he said, there is a Roman centurion. And he said, I, I want you to just go and share with him everything about the, the way of God. So Peter said, all right, I'll go. And so three men came, got him. You have to read it on your own. I'm going to really paraphrase this and real quickly. Peter gets to Cornelius' house. Cornelius has invited all of his family and friends because an angel had appeared to him the day before and set this thing up. I'm telling you, God's setting some of you up. Did y'all hear that? God's setting some of you up. And so in this particular time right here, Peter is given the opportunity to speak. He's at a Gentile's house. Jews are not supposed to go into Gentile's houses. But he said, God said, what I've called, unco- uh, what I've called common, don't you call uncommon. Don't you, don't you, or vice versa, excuse me. If God said that I have made it clean, it's clean. So you go on in there. Peter starts preaching. And before he can bring the worship team back on the platform, before he can give an altar call, before he can do anything, before he's got a halfway through his message, the Spirit of God falls and somebody starts speaking in other tongues over here. Somebody else starts prophesying. Somebody starts getting happy over here in the presence of God. I'm talking the glory falls. And Peter's shocked because he can't believe that God is pouring his Spirit out on a Gentile. But, but remember what I preached three weeks ago? That's the uniqueness of the dispensation in which we live. God said, I'll pour out all my Spirit upon all flesh. Not just you, but Gentile as well. That's the promise of the Father. And so that's an experience you read about in the last one. I'm closing on this one real quickly. We find it in Acts chapter 19. Some of you are writing notes. And that's Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, and now Acts chapter number 19. Now it's in the ministry of Paul, who's gone to Ephesus. And at Ephesus, the Bible says, verses 1 through 6, says this, that Paul found certain disciples there. They're followers of Christ. But they, all, they had limited revelation. Some of you have limited revelation. You have, you have sincerity, but you, real, you have a limited understanding. So Paul said, he asked them a question. He said, have you received, there it is, second verse, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Did y'all catch that? I got to close. I'm closing on this. My message today was entirely about separating the two experiences so you could see. And they said, we haven't even heard about this before. Let I me mean, you know there's some in our, in our midst today, some here on, on watching me, they're saying, Pastor, I've never heard anybody share this with me the way you're sharing it today. This is, this is new to me for the very first time. That's what Paul came about. And he said here, he said, they said, we hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. He said, well, then what were you baptized? And they said, well, we were just baptized in John's baptism. And so he brought clarity related to John's baptism and Christian baptism. And so then, with expectation, Paul baptizes all 12 of them in water 
our belief by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings them in under the power of that covenant name. And when that happened, they get out. They might still be with water. They might still be like somebody drying their head and all that. And here comes the apostle. And he begins to lay hands on them. And when he begins to lay hands on them, look what it says. They spoke with other tongues and prophesied because the Spirit of God came upon them. Now, here's my closing thought, and this is what I'm going to leave you with because we're going to close in a group prayer in just a moment of time. It's the one thing that I noted as I went back and read about all five of these experiences. Some happened before and some happened after baptism. Some were manifested by tongues and prophecy or magnifying God, two of which there was no record of either. Some say it was implied and inferred. That's possibly the case. Some was in a large setting a large setting, and others it was just all alone with one individual. So your experience with God through the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be unique to you. It's going to be bound to the theological experiences and the truth of the Scripture, but we're not going to put God in a box and say it has to happen here or it can't happen. See, years ago, years ago, I struggled as I preached about this because if I, if I, if I shared about it, and nobody received, I'd go home dejected. Come on. If you go fishing and nobody, and you don't catch any fish, right? You know, like, I mean, I had a good time. I mean, it's nature is beautiful, but I'd like to have a fish. You know, if you're going to teach and preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when I was up at Shirley, this is the experience that I, I want you to know that, that I learned from so much. And I've told this before, and I close this final story. I had a little lady, though, that, you know, I preached on, and especially when you're new in pastoring and Pentecost, man, you're zealous of it. Man, you just want everybody to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I had a little lady in our church, though, that she, would, she didn't, her name was Brenda, and Brenda would, uh, she came and we'd pray for her, lay hands on her, and she'd not, she didn't receive, she didn't receive, she didn't receive, and that can be dejecting. She didn't receive at the level that I thought that she ought to receive. Remember, God may have moved on her, God might have done wonderful things in her heart and life. But one day, she came to church, and she said, Pastor, you know what happened? I said, what? She said, I woke up out of my dream in the middle of the night, and I was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. And from that time till now, I said, you know what, God, I'm not putting you in a box. God, you do it your way. My, my, I came with conviction today to help a believer to see it's a, there's a difference between you being born again and you being baptized in the Holy Spirit. But you have to be fully persuaded in your own mind. You do. You do. Let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed today in the name of Jesus. I've preached a long time and I do not apologize for it. 